What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Milner, and welcome to the first episode of 2021. And I'm recording this on a Monday, so this is like an extra special day, the first Monday of the year, the first podcast of the year. Anyway, I was talking all about intermittent fasting on this episode that you're about to listen to. Uh, This is another thing in the fitness industry that kind of gets misconstrued all over the place. Like you, you hear so many people who are talking about intermittent fasting as like this magical solution. And a lot of people are like, no, it's irrelevant. It doesn't do anything. And again, the answer always lies in the middle. So I just wanted to help clear the air and just give you the full picture on everything that you need to know about intermittent fasting. So hopefully you enjoy the episode. And if you do, as always, it is greatly appreciated if you share it and spread the word. We got to get this Mind Over Macros audience continuing to grow. And I can only do that with your help. One of the best ways to do it is share the episode on your stories. Just take a screenshot, tag me on Instagram at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And the other thing that really helps is if you can leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes, only if you mean it. I only want authentic five-star reviews, but if you can do that, it would help more people find the show. So with that being said, enjoy this first episode of 2021. All right, guys. So today we are talking all about intermittent fasting. This is another topic in the fitness industry that I feel like is really misunderstood. So it's important to just clear the air and provide quality information so that you guys can make your own decisions, whether you are a client or a coach, about whether or not it makes sense for you. And that is really the objective here when I do a lot of trainings like this to just really paint the picture of what it is. Like when we talk about intermittent fasting, a lot of times people use that term and they're not even really fully sure of what it actually entails or what it is. So I'm going to tell you what intermittent fasting is. What are some of the benefits? What are some of the detriments? What are some of the myths versus, you know, what's fact versus myth? And then what are some practical ways to consider if it's something that you should incorporate into your protocol or not? So we're just going to keep it super basic as far as I want this to be tactical, digestible, and really something that you can take and run with uh, because I do get questions a lot around intermittent fasting. So this will clear the air for a lot of you. And before I do that, there is this is the first podcast of 2021. This is the first training of 2021. It's also the first Monday of 2021 that I'm actually recording this. So I feel like I have to address the elephant in the room, which is there are a lot of people out there, maybe you're one of them, that are making New Year's resolutions. And today is like the official kickoff day because it's Monday, right? We always start on a Monday. There's nothing wrong with having a resolution. Actually, my journey to where I am now a big part of that was a New Year's resolution. I signed up for a New Year, New You challenge. And this was many years ago, but it was a terrible challenge. It was something um, I was actually telling the story during that challenge. I went snow tubing. I went on a snow tubing trip. And I remember literally packing like plates that I wrapped up in aluminum foil and put in like a plastic bag because I was going to be away and I, and I would not 
go off plan. And every plate was literally just vegetables and protein. I wasn't allowed to eat anything other than that, but I stacked up like six or 10 plates of just straight protein and veggies, wrapped it up in aluminum foil and went on this snow tubing trip, which, you know, as you can imagine, I didn't get the full experience because I was constantly thinking about my diet. But so that challenge kind of led me down this path of disordered eating and a terrible relationship with my body. But it also kind of kickstarted my journey. So without it, I don't think that I would be where I am today. I learned a lot about what not to do. um, But I also learned that I'm just going to keep trying until I get it right. So it was an experience that had a lot of negative consequences, but it also ultimately got me to where I am. So I kind of have this love-hate relationship with resolutions, but it's inevitable that we're going to see millions and millions of people set their New Year's resolutions. And depending on what research you look at, about 92% of them will fail. So there was a study done in University of Scranton that specifically looked at New Year's resolutions and how many people achieved them. And they came up with the number 8% are successful, 92% fail. So before you go down that path of setting these massively ambitious goals for 2021, and if you already have done that, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't, you know, don't feel bad about setting goals. Um, I just want to paint this picture of practicality first which is the number one reason why people fail at their New Year's resolutions because they bite off too much. They bite off more than they can chew. It is, you're you're kind of in this vulnerable position going through the holidays and feeling very motivated to make a massive change. So it's human nature. We think about all of the things that are going to be better in our lives when we make all of these changes and we're, we're not realistic. It's, it's the optimism bias. We have this, uh, this cognitive bias when it comes to thinking that nothing that, that like everything's going to go according to plan. And we don't think about all the things that will get in our way. So we typically set these super ambitious goals then the motivation kind of loses its steam and we end up crashing and burning and starting back at square one. So my caution would just be to consider how realistic and sustainable your resolutions actually are. And if you need help with that, um, I would highly, highly recommend if you have not already join our workshop, the fat loss freedom workshop, because this is literally like the anti-resolution solution. It's all about sustainability. It's all about building a strong foundation for success and not biting off more than you can chew. So if you go to dietfreedomworkshop.com, you can jump in. It's $27. Um, I've had more people tell me that it was the best $27 they've ever spent um, in the past couple of weeks than, than I can remember. And so you get email accountability. Now we just added in that bonus feature so that you'll be reminded of the, the workshop, of the trainings, of all the resources. It's over three hours of video uh, broken down into like 20 to 30 minute training clips, how-to resources, PDF downloads, guides, like everything you need to build a strong foundation of nutritional success. And then the second thing is if you just need more like hands-on help, Um, We do have a promotion for the new year for pop one-on-one coaching. The only way to 
get into that program is to fill out an application and to do an interview with me. Um, so you can DM me on, on Instagram or you can shoot me a message on Facebook. Uh, I just wanted to throw that out there to let you guys know that you don't have to jump into the crazy kind of resolution mindset, but just to be cautious about what you're doing before making this ambitious goal and then falling into the 92% that, that fail. So now that that's out of the way, we can talk about the topic at hand, which is intermittent fasting. So first of all, let's define what intermittent fasting is. The way that it's used most commonly is essentially time-restricted feeding. You are taking a select window of time where you are going to have all of your food for the day. The most common intermittent fasting protocol is known as 16-8, which would be that you're fasting for 16 hours a day and you're eating for eight hours a day. That has become the most popular. That doesn't have to be like, when we hear people talk about intermittent fasting, they could be talking about a protocol where they fast for 20 hours a day and only eat for four hours a day. Um, but 16-8 has become the most common. And I'm not sure why that is. There, there's not, um, there are no studies that show that a 16-8 intermittent fasting protocol is superior than any other kind of time-restricted feeding type of approach. So the thing that we have to understand, if we, we understand the definition, we're, we're talking about a specific window of time. Now, we could get super technical when it comes to using the term intermittent fasting because understand that the digestive process takes a long time to happen. So if you're fasted for 16 hours, you're not really fasted. You have plenty of processes happening that include energy and glucose and fats. Um, so, so you'll have fatty acids, you'll have glucose um, circulating. You're not really like depleted or fasted as we would kind of traditionally use that term until intermittent fasting became so popular. So if we're speaking on like technicalities, fasting for 16 hours, you're not totally in a real fasted state because you still have a lot of digestive processes that are, that are occurring and you have readily available energy to pull from. So that being said, when I say intermittent fasting, I'm typically just going with the general use of the term, uh, which is a time-restricted feeding window in general. It could be eight hours, it could be six hours, it could be four hours, but basically you're reducing your calories to a short window of time. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, that's how I am using the term intermittent fasting. Now, let's talk about some of the potential benefits of intermittent fasting. Well, for some people, it is a means of calorie control. But the first thing that we have to understand is that if you are eating in a eight-hour window, 12-hour window, 16-hour window, and your calories and protein and macros and fiber are all equated, then research shows that there will be no difference in body composition on average. So, it's important to, to, to kind of put that caveat on average because that's what studies show. Studies show the average of a large group of people. So if we look at all of the studies that have been done on intermittent fasting versus eating in, you know, kind of throughout the day or not really having a restricted feeding window, if calories and protein and, and fiber 
are all equated, meaning you're basically eating the same amount of food in 16 hours that you did in eight hours, then there's going to be no difference in body composition on average. Now, I'm not going to go so far as to say that one individual, like we take an N of one and say that you as an individual, let's say that you eat all of your calories over 16 hours or 12 hours or whatever, and then you decide to reduce it to eight or six, I'm not going to say that there's going to be no difference because everybody's different. So it's hard to say for sure. If we're looking at the average, there will likely be no difference. And that's the thing that's important to understand when we talk about intermittent fasting as a, as a tool for calorie control. For some people, it can be really beneficial. For others, it can be really detrimental. So I'll give you an example of both. For the person that finds that they're less hungry and that they have less cravings and that they can hit their appropriate portions in you know a, a, a time-restricted window, for that person, intermittent fasting sounds like it helps with calorie control. So that would be a good idea for that individual, um, barring some other stuff that I'll talk about in a little bit. But on the surface level, if restricting your calories to eight hours a day or six hours a day helps you with less hunger and you don't notice any issues with other biofeedback markers, like your energy is still high, you're sleeping well, your stress is managed, all of these things are in check, but your, your hunger is better managed in a smaller feeding window, then that sounds like it might be a good approach. Now, on the flip side of that, I've seen a, a lot of people who end up struggling with hunger because of intermittent fasting, because they heard from, you know, Jane down the street that, you know, she was intermittent fasting and was feeling amazing and lost 20 pounds. So it's like, oh, well, it must be the fasting protocol. And then they start restricting their food to like an eight hour or six hour window and deal with intense hunger and cravings. And they wonder why. And it's like, well, it can't be the fasting. It must be something else that I'm doing. Like, no, it's the fasting. Everybody's different. So you might be somebody that actually sees increase in hunger if you're fasting. It doesn't always happen during the fast. That's the tricky part. So you might be like, well, I wake up in the morning and I'm fine waiting several hours to break my fast. Um, little, you know, we all kind of should know this by now, but breakfast was originated to actually break the fast. Like we fast when we're sleeping. So that's how the term came to be. So if you wake up and wait four hours to have your first meal, if you're break fast, uh, and you're not hungry at that point, you don't feel like, oh, I'm fine during that fasting period. But then at the end of your feeding window, at the end of the evening, you get intense hunger and cravings. It could be because of the fast. Now, in that situation, we would have to look at total calories and protein and food quality, right? There's a lot of boxes that we have to check before we just, you know, point the finger at the fasting protocol. But I will say that there are plenty of examples where everything else was in check. I had a client eating enough calories, eating enough protein, eating high quality foods, mostly whole foods, minimally processed, doing, you know, drinking enough water, managing stress, doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. And it was really just the fasting that was causing intense hunger at the end of the day. And once we stopped with the fasting protocol, all of a sudden the hunger dissipated. So there are situations like this. Hopefully you're starting to understand that like everything in nutrition, it depends on the individual. 
One of the things that I wrote about today is the fact that you are a metabolic snowflake. We all are. There is no metabolism that is identical to yours, and there never will be. There is no metabolism that's identical to mine, and there never will be. So we can't just throw a blanket statement and say that intermittent fasting is superior for calorie control when no two people are the same. What we can do is we can use the information that we have and try it and see what happens when it comes to calorie control. You may find that it's easier or you may find that it's more difficult. The only um, caveat, the only issue would be if you try to place yourself in this box of I have to do this or I can't do this, right? We don't ever want to make these 100% certain statements because that gets us into trouble. Um, I've tried intermittent fasting. I've actually done well with it at times in my life. And there have been other times in my life where it's been a detriment. So again, even the same person, my metabolism is not going to be the same today as it was two years ago. And my metabolism will not be the same in two years as it is today. So just because it worked at one point doesn't mean it's going to work at another point in time. So it, we always have to kind of be experimenting and listening to what's going on, paying attention to our own biofeedback and, you know, hunger, cravings, mood, sleep, stress, energy levels, recovery, digestion. You know, these are things that we want to listen to. And then we can start to make decisions like, does this help me with calorie control or is it a detriment to my calorie control? But overall, if we look at the research, as long as, so like the hierarchy of importance, as long as we're eating the right amounts of food and the right quality foods, then it's not going to be as important as to when we eat those foods. So that's always a key message to understand. The when, like the feeding window, how spread out it is, how many meals per day, meal frequency, all that stuff is very much uh, at the the lesser important things to pay attention to. And it's more about, you know, are we eating enough? You know, are we getting in enough calories? Are we getting in enough protein? And are we eating high quality foods for the most part? So that's like at, you know, the, the top of most important and then getting into the when, how many meals, frequency, that's typically, you know, kind of at the bottom of almost irrelevant. I say almost because it can make a difference, especially as you get more advanced. Now, when we listen to the intermittent fasting, um, well, I don't know what to call them, gurus, zealots, whatever you want to call them, the intermittent fasting uh, proponents, they, the people that love it will say, well, intermittent fasting gives you an increase in cell autophagy. And basically what cell autophagy is, is it's your body getting rid of damaged cells. So we have this process of cellular turnover, um, which I think is really fascinating because it literally means that at a cellular level, we are never the same person. And that's just a really cool mindset to be like, yeah, well, you know, whatever happened back then, like I was a different person on a cellular level than I am today. And I will be a new person um, at a cellular, you know, cellular level. It's just a cool concept to think about. But anyway, cell, cell autophagy is when we turn over those damaged cells for new cells that are not damaged. And the intermittent fasting uh, proponents, people who are in support of intermittent fasting will say that it increases cell autophagy. Um, which we do see cell autophagy occur 
when we kind of limit our feeding window. However, it doesn't happen at a greater or faster rate than if we were eating in just a calorie restricted or um, I shouldn't say calorie restricted, I should say in a calorie deficit. So studies show that if we eat in a calorie deficit, we're still going to have that same level of cell autophagy as if we were eating the same amount, but in a, in a condensed feeding window. Cell autophagy is a normal process that's going to happen. Now, there are some things that can impact that in a negative way. Mostly, it's going to be overconsumption and also overconsumption of processed foods. So if we're, if we're dealing with things like inflammation, um, nutrient deficiencies, and we have just an overall poor quality diet, then things like cell autophagy, that cellular turnover will be disrupted. It's still happening, but it's not as efficient. So to because of the fact that what we eat literally becomes the matter that makes us us like our our brain matter, our cellular matter, uh, the you know mitochondria, like all the stuff that we are made of is made from the foods that we eat. Uh, so it makes sense that if we're eating mostly processed foods, that 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 cellular turnover wouldn't happen as efficiently as if we were eating whole foods, getting in the vitamins and minerals that we need. Um, even if we look at things like magnesium deficiency, that can impact cell autophagy. So it's really not about the fasting itself, but more about the quality. Again, it circles back to the quality and also the quantity. Um, are you eating are you over-consuming and are you eating a poor quality diet? If yes, then sure, you may be impacting that cellular turnover. Um, if you're eating mostly whole foods and you're eating in the right amount for you as an individual, then you don't have to worry about getting some superior advantage from cell autophagy with intermittent fasting. It's not going to make a difference. So again, sometimes we, we hear these things and it sounds super cool. It's like, oh my God, I get to increase this cellular turnover, this cellular autophagy. And it sounds super nerdy and scientific. And you're like, I'm going to do that. But when we start to peel back the layers, it's really not all that significant. Um, and it's not something that we have to do by fasting. Interestingly enough, when we get into more extended fasts, which most people, if they're if they're fasting for like 24, 48, 72 hours, they're not referring to that as intermittent fasting for the most part. Um, but we do actually start to see increases in the rate and efficiency of autophagy of that cell turnover when we get into more extended fasts, you know, above the 24 hour mark. So there may be, you know, is it worth it? Maybe that's up to you to decide. Um, I've done a 72-hour fast before. It was not very fun. I am not in a rush to do that again. Um, but I do think that there is some, you know, there, there's some benefit to actually sitting with hunger and realizing that you're going to be okay, um, that it's not an emergency, that you have to rush and get food. However, I did a whole post about this on hunger. So you should, should go look that up. It's on Instagram because hunger is something that I feel like we've really lost connection with. And it, while it's not an emergency single signal, it is a biological signal that tells us something's not right. So we should pay attention to it. Um, understanding that fasting is a stressor. So if we're experiencing intense hunger, your body is under 
a lot of stress and is sending a message like, Hey, let's, let's get this fixed. Let's get some energy in here. Uh, so we, we really just want to pay attention to the big picture and not get caught up in, you know, Oh, well, I heard that there's an increase in cell autophagy. So I'm just going to start, you know, eating only four hours a day. Um, it's really kind of missing the forest for the trees. So another thing that you'll, you'll often hear, uh, intermittent fasters talk about is that it's anabolic, which means that it's muscle building. Um, that is another situation where it's really um, data picking in this case, because what happens when you fast is we do see an increase in HGH, which is human growth hormone, which is an anabolic hormone. However, we have to look at the big picture. We are not bringing in any nutrients. So we are also not spiking IGF-1, insulin growth factor. Insulin is our most anabolic hormone, and that is going to be suppressed when we're in a fasted state. So we're losing the most anabolic hormone, but we are gaining an increase in HGH. Uh, We are also typically seeing a reduction in testosterone uh, because of the fact that in a stress state, we usually see a down regulation of sex hormones. So another anabolic hormone is usually downregulated. So, you know, when we look at it, a lot of times people who support intermittent fasting will kind of data pick and say, well, it increases HGH, therefore it's anabolic. That's really misleading uh, and also not true. So um, understand the big picture again of what's going on. If you don't have any nutrients coming in, how are you building muscle? Anabolic being like muscle building. Uh, if, you're, if there's nothing coming in, there's no energy, there's no aminos, there's no glucose coming in, we're, we're likely not building muscle in that state. Now, there is something to be said about um, insulin sensitivity. So if I am dealing with some kind of insulin resistance and I want to kind of clear, I, I, use, I use the term like clear the traffic off the highway. Like there's, there's a traffic jam because there's a lot of insulin trying to get in to push nutrients into the cell. It's not doing it efficiently. If I stop producing insulin by fasting, that can help. Um, but ultimately, again, that's really taking an acute situation and trying to make it like this, this uh, extrapolate it into this quick fix, which is, which it's not. Uh, trying to repair insulin resistance is not something that can be done by simply fasting. We want to look at everything from how much you're eating, the quality, you know, movement, strength training, walking, all these things that we, you know, stress relief, sleep quality, all of these things that will play a role in insulin sensitivity. So again, it's like taking a snippet of information that's true and trying to like grossly extrapolate it uh, is really misguided. So be careful of some of those claims. Now, a lot of people on the flip side will say fasting is catabolic, meaning that it's going to break down your muscles, which would make sense in theory, because if I'm not eating anything, well, then my body is is typically going to you know find a way to get energy where it can. So maybe that comes from my muscle tissue and then it breaks down my muscles. So I definitely don't want to fast if that's the case. Again, even though logically that makes sense, that's not actually what happens if you're eating enough protein and calories in general. So that's going to be muscle sparing. And because of the increase in HGH, we do have a little bit of a uh, muscle sparing effect from, from fasting. But the most important thing is going to be total calories and total protein, even if it's in a four hour window. Let's say I'm only eating one meal a day. 
if I'm getting in enough protein and enough calories, that's going to be muscle sparing. Uh, meaning I don't have to worry about my muscles uh, being used for fuel and, and breaking down and losing all of my gains. So understanding the big picture is super important. Um, gut health is another thing that a lot of people talk about when it comes to intermittent fasting. Uh, this is something where, again, it's kind of along the same lines of clearing the traffic off the highway, except instead of insulin, we're talking about the digestive process. And there is some benefit to giving your digestive tract a rest. Like it's working. Digestion is a very energy costly process. It takes a lot of things, a lot of moving parts to happen and to happen efficiently. So, if you're noticing digestive distress, there can be a benefit to just kind of clearing out the traffic, right? It's like there's a big line to get to the club and it's causing a lot of tension. There's, there's people arguing, they want to get to the front, right? There's this, there's this turmoil going on. So like clearing out the line um, and shutting the club down for a little bit, right? No digestion happening, no food coming in. You know, it's like clearing out the traffic and it gives your gut a little bit of a break. Now, for the most part, that happens uh, when we're sleeping. So, you know, we want to be in this kind of rest and digest mode when we're sleeping. And I usually recommend just kind of a natural like 12 to 13 hour fast before you eat again, which should be pretty simple. Like if you are finishing dinner at seven o'clock at night and you don't eat again, and then you wake up at 7 a.m., that's 12 hours. So you could have breakfast at 7 a.m., 8 a.m., and that would give you kind of enough time. Again, when it comes to like healing the gut with fasting, most of the time we see the benefits after a 24 hour. So it's usually more of an extended fast, 24, 48, 72 hours. Um, I believe that I read that to completely like regenerate your gut lining, that would take five days. Um, I don't recommend a five-day fast, but that is something that is out there in the literature. Um, in more like intense, severe gut repair protocols, you might see something like that, like an extended fast. But for the most part, as long as you're getting in kind of that 12 to 13 hour uh, fast each day, which should happen very naturally, then you don't have to worry about reducing your feeding window even more uh, for the purpose of gut health. So, and again, this is a situation where everybody is, is very different. So you may, you may see some digestive relief by extending your fasting window, um, but you also may see the opposite depending on the individual because- what always comes down to is context, but most importantly, stress context, because fasting is a stress. So this is like one of the key take-home messages when you're considering if intermittent fasting is something that you want to incorporate into your life, into your you know nutrition protocol, if it makes sense for you, um, the first thing to consider is your schedule. I mean, like your, your natural hunger cues, natural satiety, your natural like life schedule? Does it make sense practically? But then the second thing is stress. So if you are somebody that is overstressed and under-recovered, does it make sense to add more stress by fasting longer? Probably not. Um, again, it's like, what's the benefit? I always think of like, you know, it's almost like we're doing an analysis here, like cost versus benefit. So the cost is, is very high there. We're adding more stress to an already stressed out system. The benefit, well, I can't really think of a benefit in that situation. 
there may be benefits for some people, like I said, depending on context, but I'm specifically talking about somebody who is under a lot of stress. Um, adding more fasting hours doesn't make a lot of sense. So um, when we think about, and this is going to be very general, so I, I want to use that as a preface that I'm generalizing here, but what we often see is with women, um, typically women are way more sensitive to fasting protocols than men. Uh, That is just because of the fact that your job as women, unfortunately, like this is the reality from a biological standpoint, like we don't have to get into an argument about gender roles. This is just the nature of it. Uh, it. Reproduction is a process that your body cares a lot about and your body wants to keep you alive. So you're more sensitive. Women are more sensitive to things that cause more stress, which fasting does. So we might see uh, cycle irregularities. We might see loss of period. We might see certain issues with fasting in, in women that we obviously wouldn't see in men. So that is something to definitely be aware of when it comes to trying something like this. Pay attention. That's another part of biofeedback that should be a regular thing that you pay attention to is, is your cycle. First of all, is it there? Is it regular? But, but also, you know, if you try something like intermittent fasting and then we start to notice cycle disruption, that is a massive red flag that I would highly recommend pulling the plug on that experiment right away if you notice any issues with that. So um, that's just, again, that's something that I've seen anecdotally and something that we see kind of replicated in research as well, that when it comes to you know intermittent fasting windows, typically women are more sensitive to longer uh, fasting windows than men. So um, hopefully this kind of gives you like a broad view of what it kind of all looks like, but just to recap and make sure that you guys kind of can, can use this for yourself. Um, it's not a magic intermittent fasting is not a magical solution. It is simply a way of reducing your feeding window to a shorter time frame. For some people, it can help manage hunger and cravings for others. It can increase hunger and cravings. The key is to find what works best for you. And remember that most important is your total calories, how much you're eating, uh, and then the quality of the foods that you're eating. Um, And then we can kind of get into like macro portions and that sort of thing. But for the most part, if we just look at quality and quantity and we have those boxes checked, it doesn't matter when you're eating. It doesn't matter the, the timing of it. It doesn't matter how many hours you're eating. It doesn't matter the frequency. Um, all of that is kind of like really small minutia that is largely irrelevant. Um, you know, in certain situations, yes, that will come into play. But for the most part, it's like, let's, let's check the most important boxes first before we even get into any of that stuff. So that's like the take home message is really, it's not magical. A lot of the benefits that people claim um, are kind of cherry picking data and, and don't really hold up when we extrapolate that to the big picture. Um, that goes for cellular autophagy, that goes for the anabolic effects, that goes for the gut healing effects. Um, so hopefully that kind of clears up any confusion that you had around intermittent fasting and whether it makes sense. So um, I think that was a pretty good 
just kind of overall look at intermittent fasting and, and just a way to practically take that to yourself and apply it. Um, as always, if you have questions, please hit me up. That's what I'm here for. Um, you can shoot me a message on Facebook. You can shoot me a DM on Instagram. That's at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And please do me a favor. Um, share this to your stories. Like I said, the Mind Over Macros podcast had almost 175,000 downloads last year, 2020. And the goal is to more than double that in 2021. And the only way I can do that is with your help, which I need you to share it. I need you to write me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Uh, But if you could just tell one person to listen uh, who you think would gain value from the show, it would mean the world to me. So um, I did have a question come in on the Facebook feed. So I'm going to answer that before I hop off here, uh, which the question is, what is your take on fasted cardio? Not intense cardio, more like a walk or an easy bike ride or row 20-ish minutes. Um, this is another thing where if we just look at research, there is no difference between fasted cardio and fed cardio when it comes to the fat loss effects. Um, this is again where we'll often see so-called experts take a slice of in- information and and kind of extrapolate it um, irresponsibly, which is to say that if you are doing fasted cardio, they'll say that you're using more fat as fuel, you're burning more fat, which is true, but that doesn't mean that you are losing more fat. Because if I'm doing fed cardio and I'm burning more carbs or glucose for fuel and not as much fat because I don't have any food in there. Um, Or, you know, if I'm looking at fasted cardio as, uh, you know, just because there are more, uh, let's just say fatty acids circulating and being utilized during that time period, that doesn't actually equate to more fat loss because we actually have to oxidize the fat to lose it, um, which would be more about the overall quantity. Again, it comes back to um, the amount that you're eating. So if you look at the total that you're eating throughout the day, and if you have the same amount doing fed versus fasted, then there's going to be no difference in fat loss. So my take is if you feel better doing fasted cardio, then great. If you feel better doing fed cardio, then great. Ultimately, you want to pay attention to biofeedback. If you do fasted cardio and you notice that it increases hunger, it increases cravings, and it makes you moody and it makes you sleepy, that's not a good thing. If you notice that you're totally fine, you have no issues with hunger or cravings, then absolutely, if that's your preference, go for it. No issue with that at all. So hopefully that clarifies that question. Great question. Um, That's definitely one that I get frequently. So I'm glad that that came up so we could throw that in there. Um, And again, do me a favor, refer one person to the show this week, um, post this to your stories, tag me on Instagram, and I will talk to you guys very soon.